Thank you, Kent and Barbara, for our music tonight. Welcome to those of you joining us on live stream for our evening service. We're in the book of Hosea. In the, in the Old Testament, you have a list of major prophets and then minor prophets, and Hosea is the first of those 12 minor prophets. We've been going through this book on Sunday night, and uh, in the last couple messages, I've been doing kind of a unique thing. And that is, uh, in this book, when we get to the later chapters in Hosea, uh, which is kind of typical sometimes of the prophets, uh, they take a lot of space to cover a few points. And what, I'm do what I want to do is uh, show you what he's doing in these chapters, especially chapters 8, Hosea chapter 8, 9, and, and 10, taken as a group together. And what is happening here? You'll notice in chapter 8 and verse 1, he says, set the trumpet to your mouth. In other words, blow the trumpet. The second time in the book that Hosea has said this, because in this book, in the chapters 4 through 7, uh, he is announcing judgment that's going to come upon the nation of Israel. And blowing the trumpet was a sound of alarm. There's danger there. And the danger is that uh, you have sinned and God's going to bring judgment and it's coming to you. So here again, for the second time, in chapter 8, verse 1, he says basically the same thing, blow the, the trumpet because judgment is coming. You know, in the Old Testament, God was often a God of judgment, wasn't he? I mean, judgment took place in a number of ways. There were those huge catastrophes that happened. So in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, judgment fell in a huge way that affected the whole human race. And then there was the flood. And of course, the judgment that God brought on the, uh, because of the flood affected the whole world, not just the human beings, but uh, all life that was in the world. The Tower of Babel was a judgment of God to change the languages of the, of the world. Egypt, Sodom and Gomorrah, when God brought that judgment, he brought it immediately and in a devastating way. And so there were those catastrophes that changed the world. You know, our view of world history is a view based on catastrophes, not on uniformitarianism, not in some evolutionary way, but the reason things have changed in Earth's history is because of God's judgment that he brought. Then there are those individual times of judgment when God judges an individual or a certain nation. Uh, you remember the rebellion of Korah out in the desert uh, when he, he and his companions rebelled against the leadership of Moses and God told everyone else, stand back and watch what I'm going to do. And he opened the earth up and down they went into the earth. I mean, that kind of an immediate judgment for their sin. Uh, often happened uh, to people or to individuals in the Old Testament. Israel had great success at Jericho because they were walking with God and doing what God wanted them to do. The next thing they do, they go up the road to little bitty Ai. They don't even take very many men with them, and yet they're routed there because of their sin before God. So judgments came. God, God is a, a God of judgment. In this age of grace in which we live, God is largely waiting to the end of the age to judge. We see a lot of terrible things going on in the last 2,000 years in history, and often people say, well, if 
if there's a God, why doesn't he do something? If there's a God, why didn't he judge this? Or why, didn't he, why does he let this bad thing happen? And the fact is, God will do it. And it's called the tribulation period. It's called the judgment of God. And when it comes, the world has never seen the kind of judgment that God's going to bring on this age. So in the age of grace, it's kind of a wait and see. God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. He is, he is giving everyone a chance to repent to hear the gospel, but judgment is coming. God may reserve his own judgment in providential circumstances. In other words, we don't see God opening the earth up and, you know, a, a sinner disappearing into the earth very often, but God can do what he wants in our lives to straighten us out. He can chastise us in the way that he wants. And usually that comes in circumstantial ways where it's just God puts us in this situation to teach us that lesson. And so we still see the judgment of God. But here in this book, God is going to bring captivity to Israel. God is going to do away with the nation. God is going to bring the Assyrians from the north. And remember, there were two great captivities. The first one was the Assyrian captivity in the 700s where the northern tribes called here Israel, by the way, and sometimes Samaria because of the city, or sometimes they're called Ephraim because of the tribe, and they are going to be taken away by the Assyrians. Assyrians were terrible people, rough people, uh, no mercy type of people, and they're going to be carried away captive by the Assyrians. A hundred years later, Babylon is going to be the world power, and they're going to come in in the Babylonian captivity in the days of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel and so forth, and they'll take the southern two tribes into captivity. Why are they doing this? Because Israel is sinning. Because Israel, being God's people, have not followed him and have not done what he's asked to do. So in these chapters, I want you to notice that I have in the bulletin or on the screen if you're watching, uh, there are these analogies, and there are six of them, and the seventh one I have here, or excuse me, there's seven of them, and the eighth one is the judgment itself, and we'll see that at the end of chapter 10. Similes and metaphors. Similes and metaphors are those figures of speech that say, well, you know, uh, Jesus said about Herod, he's like a fox, it didn't mean that he really was a fox. He meant that he was crafty, that uh, he, he was like a fox. That's, that's a simile, something that is like something else, or a metaphor. What we have here are seven different descriptions that God gives of, those, of the nation Israel as to why they're being taken away to judgment. I just want to show you those seven, make a couple comments about each one. So first of all, Right there in verse 1, set the trumpet to your mouth. He shall come. By the way, he shall come is Assyria, the nation of Assyria. He shall come like an eagle against the house of the Lord. And notice the first point of my outline is judgment from God is like an eagle. Did you ever watch an eagle in the sky? Did you ever watch a, what an eagle can do? It's a beautiful thing when you see it, isn't it? We, we like to see uh, eagles. But boy, if you are the prey that the eagle is after, uh, it's not so nice for you. Uh, you know, I get to go to, to Canada each summer to, to the camp up there, and uh, there, there are eagles everywhere in, in uh, 
Canada, and there are a lot of places, of course, but those guys like to fish, and you'll be out on the lake, and, man, and those eagles are over here in the tree, and they're over there in the tree, and they're waiting for some fish, you know. And I remember uh, when we threw a dead fish out of the boat, and you throw it out of the boat, and it's only about 10 feet away, and somewhere a pelican, I, this pelican came and was ready to gobble up that fish. It was a northern pike about this big, and he's laying in the top of the water because he's dead, and this pelican came from somewhere, and the pelican should have picked up that fish, but all of a sudden you see him back up, and right above that pelican is this eagle. And so when it comes down to the difference between a pelican and an eagle, the pelican gives way, <laughs> and you can have it, okay. And boy, that eagle came down, and you know, and you don't, you're reaching for your phone, you'd like to, you know, take a picture of it or a video or something, there's no time. Boy, he comes down and just splash the water, you know, splashes, and he grabs that big fish, and those big wings flap, and he goes up, and it is an amazing thing to see, you know, to, to see that. Well, uh, you know, all the nations of the earth at that time were like the pelican. They just got out of the way when the Assyrians came. When the Assyrians come down, they come like an eagle, and you better get out of his way because he's grabbing that thing. I think I've told you before, the most amazing thing that I remember seeing about an eagle, and I'll, I'll always remember this, was that the wind was blowing across the lake where the camp is, to where there's white water almost on the lake, and it's going uh, right to left, and that eagle is in a tree over there where the, and where the wind is blowing, and he wants to go to that side of the lake against the wind. And I watched him. He pushed off all of the, out of that tree, and he glided without flapping his wings against the wind, went all the way across the lake to the other side. And I often thought, you know, uh, the winds of tribulation come to us in this life. How can we navigate ourselves against the wind? But that eagle just did it uh, easily and waited and found his way all the way across that lake. It was an amazing thing. So when God says through the prophet Hosea, Judgment is coming to you like an eagle. Uh, you can imagine how swift uh, that is. And why is that? A number of reasons. Uh, here, uh, if you read a little farther, because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. Uh, even uh, in uh, verse 4, they set up kings, but not by me. They made princes, and I did not acknowledge it. In other words, God was their leader, God was their king, and yet they chose their own kings, and they chose their own leaders rather than uh, acquiescing to God's will. Not only that, verse 5, your calf is rejected, O Samaria. You remember when, when Jeroboam uh, set up the gold, his own golden calf up in Samaria? All of these sins that uh, Israel had done in the sight of God is now coming back to them with judgment. So in the first six verses, uh, judgment from God is like an eagle. Secondly, uh, in uh, verse 7, it is like a whirlwind. They sow the wind, they reap the whirlwind. That's a common expression in the Bible, isn't it? You sow the, rin, the wind, you reap the whirlwind. Job 4.8, even as I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble shall reap the same. Proverbs 22, 8, he who sows iniquity will reap sorrow. 
and the rod of his anger will fail. Jeremiah 12, 13. They have sown wheat, but reaped thorns. They have put themselves to pain, but do not profit. Be, but uh, be ashamed of your harvest because of the fierce anger of the Lord. And you remember Galatians 6, 7, and 8, don't you? Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Remember that? Whatsoever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And so, uh, what is happening to Israel? They have sown their sin for all of these years, and God is bringing judgment like a whirlwind. And so, it's not a long statement, just verse 7. Do you know what? Uh, I thought to myself, the whirlwind. Uh, What is a whirlwind like? Well, we know them as tornadoes, hurricanes, things like that. And uh, we kind of live in a place where we could get a tornado, obviously, uh, in the Midwest. There's tornadoes all the time. They're, they're destructive, aren't they? As a matter of fact, out in Colorado where my son lives, they had a tornado about a month ago go right through down, you know, southern part of, uh, of Denver, Colorado, and we drove around and looked at the destruction, and it's amazing how here's a row of trees, and that tornado takes out that tree in the whole row of trees, and that tree is plucked up out of the ground and laying flat, and the tree right next to it isn't even touched. Or the same thing with a house, the same thing with, you know, wherever it hits. Uh, whirlwind uh, can be a specific thing. Hurricanes are bigger, you know, they just come in and just destroy everything. So judgment is coming upon them like a whirlwind uh, with this precise destruction that God is going to bring upon them. Thirdly, verse 8 of uh, chapter 8 is like a vessel. Notice that. Israel is swallowed up. Now they are among the Gentiles like a vessel in which there is no pleasure. A vessel in which there is no pleasure is an earthly vessel. You remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, our bodies are described as that. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, and so uh, we've learned that these earthen vessels were pottery, you know, that, the, the, that they would make, and basically they're disposable. <laughs> we, we have disposable things that we use from styrofoam cups to paper plates to whatever, you know, we just use them and discard them. And they had, they had vessels that were made quickly and uh, not uh, for fine pottery, just for use, and then they would throw them away. A lot of what the, the archaeologists find these days is different uh, shards of pottery broken into pieces and all. So uh, God's judgment will be like coming against a, a vessel that you don't want anymore. You just throw it away, and it breaks on the rocks, earthen vessels. The New American Standard has in which no one delights. No one cares about it. No one, no one cares that this piece of stuff is thrown away. Do you cry over a paper plate when you put it in the trash? You know, you're not one of those people who reuse them, are you? <laughs> you know, you're supposed to throw it away. You don't have any delight in a paper plate. That's why, that's why you use them. So here they are like, a, a, like that. And, and notice in verse 8, is swallowed up. Now they are among the Gentiles like a vessel in which is no pleasure or no one delights in. 
In other words, no one even feared them either. They have sinned before God and just think, have gone from when David was their king and their captain and their guardian to the days of Solomon when they had a huge kingdom and everyone feared Israel down to the point now where nobody cares about them. Nobody fears Israel anymore. They're like a worthless piece of pottery and they take advantage. And so Assyria will come and toss them aside like a broken pottery. Verse 8. Then in verse 9, we have two things very quickly. And one is, I call it a stupid donkey. I forget how I put it on your outline, but I call it that. They have gone up to Syria like a wild donkey alone by itself. A wild donkey alone by itself. An animal that can't find its way home. You remember when Isaiah said in, in 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to their own way. Well, when an animal is lost and can't find its way home, and that's unusual for an animal, I guess. They didn't have GPS uh, and didn't use it. An animal is lost out in the wilderness and doesn't know where to go. That's what Israel is like. Just like an animal that's lost its way in this world. And a sinner is like that. A person without God is like that. You are like that as a child of God when you're out of God's will. Don't know quite where you're going, uh, on the mountain somewhere. And you remember Jesus gave the parable of, of uh, the 90 and 9, you know, but if the one sheep is wandering out there lost, you go look for that one sheep that's lost. So that's, that's the illustration here, just a, a donkey that can't find its way. And a wild donkey at that one that, that you can't tame. Fifthly, in that same verse, notice uh, Ephraim has hired lovers. The next simile, the next analogy is a prostitute. Someone uh, here, uh, uh, she has gone off, rather than turning back to her husband, which would be God, she's turned to everybody else. You remember the early chapters of this book where Hosea is commanded to go marry Gomer, remember? And he is told beforehand, she will be unfaithful to you. She'll uh, still have her lovers and she'll go off with all of these different lovers. I want you to marry her anyway because this is going to be an illustration of what Israel has done to me. And so here uh, Ephraim, uh, the head tribe of these 10 tribes, Ephraim has hired lovers, and these lovers have taken her away. Yes, they are. They uh, have hired among the nations. I will gather them, and they shall sorrow a little because of the burden of the king of the princes. What are these lovers? Look at, look at chapter 12 real quick. If you uh, go over to 12 and verse 1, Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind, his daily increases lies and desolation. He daily increases. Also, they make a covenant with the Assyrians, and oil is carried to Egypt. In other words, in their days, they turned to Assyria for help. They turned to Egypt for help. Uh, they, they made Egypt their partner and Assyria, and later they'll make Babylon their partner. All of these nations, everyone except God is a thing. And God doesn't like that when uh, we turn to everyone except 
the one who loves us and the one that, that we're committed to. And so you know what that is like, but that's what Israel had become. And what does God think of prostitution? What does God think of unfaithfulness and, and, uh, and adultery and those kinds of things? He hates it. It's a sin. And yet that's exactly what Israel had become. So judgment is coming uh, upon the unfaithful Israel. Then in chapter 8 also, and actually going from verse 11 all the way through chapter 9 and verse 9, is this idea of uh, being in bondage like they were in Egypt. In other words, when he refers, look at the very last statement in verse 13. They shall return to Egypt. Not that they literally will, but they will go into Assyrian captivity just like they were in captivity in Egypt. The captivity in Egypt was a judgment upon their sin. And God took them down to Egypt and kept them there for 400 years as a judgment. Well, this judgment that Assyria will bring and they'll have to go to Syria will just be like their bondage in Egypt. Verse 11 says, because Ephraim has made many altars for sin. In other words, uh, this is their idolatry from the golden calf to all of the rest of the the groves that they made and, and the uh, things that they worshipped, there was a lot of that. And notice the return to Egypt, not only in, in chapter 8 and verse 13, but look at chapter 9 and verse 3. They shall not dwell in the Lord's land, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt. And in verse 6, for indeed they are gone because of destruction. Egypt shall gather them up. And so it seems right to uh, understand that Egypt there is just an analogy for captivity. This is where God, what God does with his people. He takes them into captivity. And I thought it was interesting that in chapter 9, before this passage is over, look at verse 7. The days of punishment have come. The days of recompense have come. Israel knows. The prophet is a fool. Spiritual man is insane. I read that and say, well, I guess that's true in any age, isn't it? In other words, here's the prophet of Israel, the man who connects the people to God. The prophet, you know, was, was the voice of God to the people, and the priest was the voice of the people to God. He offered the prayers and the sacrifices up. But the prophet says, thus saith the Lord. And Israel was led by the prophets. Uh, all the way back to uh, Moses and all forward, the prophets came out and, and said, this is what God wants you to do. But now the prophets are fools. The prophets can't give you a word from God. And when God's people are in that shape, uh, they're in sad shape. And the spiritual man, rather than having spiritual insight, is insane, our translation has it. Uh, they just don't know the truth. They're not spiritual men. Because of the greatness of your iniquity and great enmity, the watchman of Ephraim is with my God, but the prophet is a fowler's snare in all his ways. Rather than helping, he just tricks you and trips you up, so to speak. So the bondage and the return to Egypt uh, is there, and the prophets are fools. Now, Number seven, 
Yeah, I want to I want to save that for number seven. Number seven from from verse ten of chapter nine, all the way through chapter ten and verse ten, is this this talk about a spoiled harvest. I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first fruits of the fig tree in its first season, but they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves to that shame. In other words, what he's going to talk about here is, you're my vineyard, you're my garden. I planted you. I I uh, helped you to bring forth fruit. And what have you done? You've gone and spoiled it. You've let things turn uh, to sour and turn to weeds because of this. So God found them as grapes in the desert. You know, if you found if you find some grapes in the desert, you're doing pretty good. You know, uh, you like that. But they spoiled all of that. Baal mentioned in in verse ten. Uh, it was a terrible thing in the Old Testament. This was, this was a sexual worship that God's people entered into to worship Baal to, so they could bring about the harvest of the crops. That's why they did that. It, it was a pagan Eastern religion uh, that always uh, brought shame and, and judgment to Israel. Uh, notice uh, chapter 10 and verse 1. Um, Israel's fruit just went to herself. Israel empties his vine. He brings forth fruit for himself. One of the things that Israel was supposed to do was to be a light to the nations. Is Israel actually was supposed to be evangelistic. They were not to be among the nations in the sense of adopting their culture, but they were supposed to take God's word to the nations. And isn't that true of us today? We're supposed to be uh, in the world, but not of the world. We're supposed to take God's word to the world. And, and Israel was supposed to do that too, but they did not. N notice verse 4 of chapter 10. They have spoken words, swearing falsely and making a covenant. Thus judgment springs up like, what? Hemlock in the furrows of the fields. Poisonous weeds growing in, in the uh, furrows of the fields. That's what Israel, what had happened to Israel. Because of why? Because of their falsehoods, because of they uh, didn't follow through on their covenants and so forth. And, and in verse 8 of that same chapter, and the high places of Avon, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. Uh, the, uh, sh shall be destroyed. The, the thorn and thistle shall grow on their altars. These idol altars that they made are like thorns and thistles in God's garden. So all of that long passage is just kind of analogy after analogy of the fact that God expects fruit from his people and this is what has happened. Now there is a mention in chapter uh, 9 and verse 9 of a place called Gibeah in the days of Gibeah and then in chapter 10 and verse 9 O Israel, you have sinned from the days of Gibeah. The, the, the tragedy that happened in Gibeah was that, uh, was that homosexuality and then that, that gang raping of a servant's uh, daughter and, uh, and then the, the sin that that sin of Gibeah brought upon the whole nation of Israel. And he refers to it twice here. 
the sinful, uh, lustful sins of Israel brings God's judgment, and he refers back to Gibeah for that two, at least two different times uh, in this passage. So what, where does that leave us? Well, it leaves us in verse 11 of uh, chapter 10 to the end. Judgment is coming. When all of these things happen to his people, uh, judgment will come. Here it's happening to Israel. A hundred years later, it will happen to Judah in the south. Verse 11 of chapter 10 says, Ephraim is a trained heifer that loves to thresh grain, but I harnessed her far neck and will make Ephraim pull a plow. <laughs> the, the picture there is that uh, they liked it when they were the, the, uh, the heifer or the cow that just turned the grain, turned the grinder around and around. And uh, uh, you just put, uh, you, you know, put them under that harness and you put a sack of feed on there because they, you know, you, you uh, give the, the cow that threshes out the grain, you give them something to eat. And so they liked it, just go in a circle and eat as they go. And they loved it. And God says, that's what you've been. I've treated you like that. But now you know what I'm going to do with you? I'm going to take you out of that. I'm going to put a, a, uh, a harness upon your neck, a yoke upon you, and you're going to plow in the field. And uh, that heifer said, oh, no, I don't want to have to do that. Well, you had it easy, Israel. I, I helped you. I fed you. I made it easy for you. And now you've sinned against me, and I'm going uh, to make it hard on you. I will make Ephraim pull a plow. Jacob shall plow. Jacob shall break his clods, because even Jacob also, Israel, is coming this way. So, verse 12, again, uh, referring to that same sowing and reaping. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy. Let me stop and say, now what he's doing in verse 12 to 15 is calling them to repentance. God always calls his people to repentance. Could they? Would they? We don't know because they didn't. We don't know uh, whether God would have turned around the captivity, but it seems as though it's too late. Uh, even though God is calling them to repentance, they're not going to do it. But sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. It is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. That's a great verse, isn't it? That's a great statement. Uh, it's time to seek the Lord uh, until he comes. Now, I'll put a note in here that, that I'm going to slow down in the chapters to come, 11, 12, 13, uh, and 14, because he is going to speak of that time when he will rain righteousness upon Israel. So this, great, this book about judgment and all of these chapters about judgment are going to end with God speaking about, and yet I'm going to restore you in the end times, and I'm going to make you a nation again, and I will be king over you. And it's a picture of the millennial reign of Christ from here to the end of the book. And that's a great picture we want to uh, slow down and read. But read on with me. Verse 13, you have plowed wickedness and reaped iniquity. You have eaten the fruit of lies because you have trusted in your own way in the multitude of your mighty men. 
Therefore, tumult shall rise among your people. All of your fortresses shall be plundered. And, and Shalman plundered Beth Arbel in the day of battle. A mother dashed in pieces upon her children. Thus it shall be done to you, O Bethel, house of God, that is, because of your great wickedness. In a morning, uh, the king of Israel shall be cut off utterly. And the fact is, folks, that even though they, Israel was still around, and when Jesus came uh, to earth, uh, Israel still there. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. Uh, from that time to this, they've never really been the kingdom as God made them to be. And even to this day, Israel is there, and Israel's still God's promised people, we know. But Israel's not much in the world today, is it? I mean, it's a sore spot to everybody else, uh, but they're not the kingdom that they were, and they're not the kingdom that they're going to be one day. So they're cut off utterly. As a matter of fact, when the Messiah comes to them and Jesus comes, they crucify their very Messiah. And so God cuts them off utterly again in 70 A.D. by destroying their land and sending them into all the nations of the earth. So I want to come back and pick up then in, uh, in chapter 11 as we begin to look at the end times and what is going to happen. Note my, my study Bible has a, a note at the top of chapter 11, God's love for Israel. God still loves them, and God's going to restore them. So time to repent. It's time while you live and of sin before God to come to him as Savior. Because when judgment comes, it's called hell to us. When our life is over, uh, it's only heaven or hell that all is left for you. And a sinner that doesn't know him, that has wasted his time on this earth, will find himself under God's judgment called hell for eternity. And, I, and that captivity is too late. It's too late to turn around. There's no future for a person that ends up there. So, uh, Come to God while you still have time, and that's the message here. All right, I want you to stand, and thank you for this time to go over these three chapters very quickly and just to show you what God thinks about judgment and how judgment's coming to Israel. So let's stand, and let's pray. Now, Father, thank you for uh, this book of Hosea, for the things that we've learned from it. Thank you, Father, that the warnings of your judgment upon sin is throughout your word. In these Old Testament times and days, we see it clearly. We see what you think of sin and how you judge it. And Father, even in our day, in the day of grace that we live in, we know what you think of our sin. So Father, I pray that sinners would find Jesus Christ as Savior while they still have time. I pray, Father, that we as your people would walk humbly and rightly before you, that you might smile on us and use us uh, in the way that you please. Now, Father, uh, work in our hearts and everything that has been done by your Spirit as we've read your Word. Have your will and your way in our hearts, and we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. We always sing a verse of invitation at the close of our service. We'll sing if you have a need that I can help you with, either while we sing or after our service is finished. Uh, be sure to come and see me about that. Let's take care of it. Uh, Ken will come and lead us in a song.